From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The chairman of the board that oversees the Thrift Savings Plan is resigning early. Michael Kennedy has led the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board for about a decade since President Obama named him chairman in 2011. GovExec reports the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee hasn't scheduled a confirmation hearing for replacements for Kennedy and two other board members. Internal Revenue Service employees at nine regional locations will return to the office this month. Employees at offices in Michigan, Georgia, Missouri, and Tennessee will go back to the office June 15th. Federal Times reports employees at IRS locations in California, Indiana, Ohio, Puerto Rico, and Oregon will go back June 29th. Agency leaders have an August 3rd deadline to answer questions from the senior Democrat on the Federal Spending Oversight and Emergency Management Subcommittee in the Senate. New Hampshire Senator Maggie Hassan's letter asks specific questions about plans to modernize legacy systems at the Departments of Defense, Treasury, Homeland Security, and others. FCW reports Senator Hassan lists vulnerabilities the pandemic response exposed as the driver behind her questions. The State Department will start to reopen passport service offices soon in phases. As more offices open their doors again, agencies will have new opportunities to implement technology. Jonathan Album is Principal Data Strategist at ServiceNow, former Chief Information Officer at the Department of Agriculture. Jonathan, what are the opportunities that agencies should look for as they start to have folks come back to the office? Well, Francis, the... Um you know, the conversations that I've had both with uh, folks in industry and in government uh, really tend to center on three things. Uh, first and foremost is the need to keep employees safe. Um, secondly, a recognition that we're going to have to return in phases. And um, that really requires that we understand the kinds of work that people do. And though the work that can be done digitally, you know, should remain digitally and people should be able to telework. Uh, for the foreseeable future. And the work that doesn't lend itself to digital technologies, you know, that's where we start with a, with a return. And then, um, you know, I, I also continue to hear and see for myself that this is all a lot harder than it seems, the devil's in the detail. And that's where technology really comes, comes into play. Um, there are going to be new protocols that we have to uh, adhere to as we enter buildings, whether temperature checks or, or uh, a validation of PPE equipment, masks, and others. And you know, what do you what do you do with the results of those checks? How do you kick off uh, workflows that can keep employees and workplaces safe? Um, that's where digital transformation um, that we've already focused on as a government, but that's where it comes into um, you know into full view how important it is, because it becomes an issue around health and safety. So there's a distinction that you make there that I think is really important, Jonathan, between digital transformation and what we've talked about before, you and I in particular, but more broadly on this program, about IT modernization. I had a conversation with a financial management professional leader in government the other day, and I said to this person, what do you think your biggest issue is going to be when everybody comes back to the office? And this person said, I'm going to correct you, everybody's not coming back to the office. We've seen productivity increases by having people working remotely that we want to capture, we want to keep. And so that's why I think that idea of digital transformation is maybe more important now than IT modernization. Am I on the right track, Jonathan? 
I agree 100%. I always felt that IT modernization is a means to an end. That mean, the, the end is a digital organization. You can't be digital just by saying we're digital. You need the underlying capabilities and technologies to make it so. And we saw during the first part of our transition to remote work, a big investment in remote work technologies and IT modernization. And you know, for, for some it was a it was a rough four, five, six weeks acquiring those technologies. But as we stabilized and we went from this uh, you know, we're responding to let's become ready for what comes next and building long-term digitally resilient organizations, this this individual we're talking to, I think is is absolutely correct. We have the foundations to build very strong digital organizations. And that's what we need to do now. As we've gone through this first you know, phase and we've recognized where we have still had to maintain offices and have people come into an office space, you know, that's the place where we should be thinking about how do we take that those functions and digitize them. Now that we have the foundation, we can do that. Do you think that the smart agencies will be thinking about the remote work concept from the perspective of the genie's out of the bottle, we can't get it back in there, this is the new reality and we need to figure out the best way to work around it, rather than try to go back to what we were doing in February where everybody comes in nine to five and we just kind of try to go back to what we were doing before? I, I don't think we can go back. And, or at least go back very easily. We're going to be in, in a hybrid world where there are going to be some people that telework all the time, others that telework some of the time. When you just think about the, the complexity of bringing people back into the office and having to ma maintain physical distance inside a, inside a building, um, our, our offices aren't set up that way. Uh, we have, in some cases, very open office spaces, which was all the rage a couple years ago and, and, and fun to work in when there's not a pandemic. But in an environment like this, you need to have proper spacing. And when office spaces don't support that, you need to go to some sort of phases, uh, you know, um, phased coming into the office, uh, shifting of work schedules, those kinds of things. And, you know, organizing that's going to be complicated. Um, we'll need technology to do that. Uh, likewise, having appropriate PPE available for employees all the time is going to be challenging. So managing stockpiles and inventories across locations is going to be hard. And so you think about these challenges, they're not insurmountable, but they do, um, you know, they're less complex if you're not thinking about bringing back your entire workforce, certainly at the same time, or bringing people back in, in phases or making it so that everyone has a work from home element to, uh, to their schedules going forward. Um, that line about open office spaces is the line of the week on Government Matters, I think, Jonathan. Fun to work in when there's not a pandemic. I don't know why that strikes me as humorous, but it does. We have about a minute left. What will you watch moving forward as these organizations start to try to figure out what that right mix looks like of remote workers and, and people in the office, and then what they need to do structurally to support that technologically? So I think it begins by asking your employees about their readiness to return to work. Um, you got to survey them. You have to understand, do they have uh, challenges coming back into the office, maybe a pre-existing condition or children at home? Uh, that's one thing. Secondly, um, you know, we need capabilities to perform some kind of health survey as people come into the office. You don't want someone with a spiked temperature or who had been exposed to um, an illness to be coming back in and potentially expose others. So you have to be able to manage and track that. I think third, the um, 
the, the need to manage PPE. Many agencies want to provide masks and disinfectant and hand sanitizer gloves to employees, and I think that's great. But how do you manage those stockpiles, and what happens if you run out? Do you have to send everybody home? That can be very disruptive. So how will you manage those things? And then last, you know, back to the, the idea of the, the workspace itself. How do you maintain that physical distancing? What capabilities do you have to reconfigure your environment or bring people in in, in shifts so you can create physical distancing, again, to keep people safe? And Francis, the last thing I would say is that it's really important, I think, as leaders that we're communicating these ideas to our employees because that's going to help them feel better about coming back. It's going to build trust. I think employees will remember how their agencies treated them during this period, and to the extent that um, you know people kind of you know vote with their feet, people that have had good experiences and have felt that they were taken care of, you know they're going to be more engaged and they're going to stay at those agencies and they're going to be better employees and they're going to be able to deliver more effectively on the mission. I really believe that. Jonathan Album, thanks very much as always. Great insight. Great to be here. Thank you. Up next, differences in problem solving between the public and private sectors. Straight ahead on Government Matters, best practices from both and how one can help the other. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. This Industry Matters segment is brought to you by BDO. Industry and government are collaborating in recent months to make safe telework a priority and shift the way business is done. With insight on problem-solving strengths of both the public and private sectors, Joe Klimovich, Managing Director of Consulting at KPMG, he's former Deputy Assistant Attorney General and Chief Information Officer at the Department of Justice. Joe, it's great to see you again. You shifted from the public sector to the private sector right at the beginning of this uh, pandemic. What have you seen in that transition about the way that government and industry are working together. Oh, thank you uh, for having me back, uh, Francis. Um, certainly an extraordinary uh, time to be making uh, that move to the private sector, but I would say that the KPMG employees have been uh, great to uh, work with and they've uh, made it uh, very easy for me. Um, I look forward to actually meeting uh, a number of them in person at some point. Uh, but I would say that uh, throughout my many years of mentoring, I've always encouraged people to take the job that stretches them the most. And I really feel like I've taken my own advice uh, here and uh, taken a job that uh, will require uh, a lot of learning. Um, I think one of the things too that uh, you're, you should always try to look for is, as you're making that transition is uh, organizations that share common uh, values. And so one of the two of the things that I was really looking at was uh, KPMG's emphasis on team teamwork, working together as a team, and constant learning. Uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to make the move to the private sector was to continue uh, learning, and uh, KPMG has certainly stressed the uh, learning about technology. A lot of compliance uh, training, in fact, that was most of what I did in my limited time in the office. Um, but I'd say that the, the training, uh, at least in my limited time in the private sector in KPMG is, it's much more sophisticated than what I saw in the, in the government. Um, and so that's that made it a little bit easier to go through some of the training. It was all very much normalized. The uh, I talked to a lot of individuals before I left the government to try to get a sense as to what was important. And some common themes that I thought uh, actually have, have been very accurate, uh, one is to be patient with yourself and with the company. Uh, you're, you've got a lot to learn. 
uh, and they're trying to figure out how best to use your skill sets. Uh, compliance is a very serious business. That was definitely stressed to me many times over when I came on board, but uh, it's certainly true, I think, in, in, in all the government contracting business, uh, you need to take compliance very seriously. Um, there are going to be many people in, in a corporation uh, with similar titles. I've certainly seen that, um, but people said get to know those who are the really the leading experts in certain fields uh, and, and make sure you stay in touch with them. Uh, there was an interesting comment that a lot of people had, which was uh, attend all meetings in person, especially uh, with partners and, and other seniors. Uh, that really has not uh, been uh, not been able to do that uh, so much. But again, I look forward to that. And I just say the last thing on, on meetings um, in the government, most of my day was very scripted, uh, solid meetings from early in the morning to, to uh, in the evening. And uh, I have a lot more flexibility on meetings uh, in the, here. Um, and I it's still a lot of meetings, but a lot more flexibility. And it's something that allows me to then spend a little bit more time uh, diving into uh, new areas of uh, um, that I want to learn about. In the time that you've spent in the private sector so far, Joe, what would you tell one of your peers who's still in government that he or she should do or, or should try that would make his or her life easier that maybe an, an average, if there is such a thing, an average government CIO doesn't do right now? I think one of the things that uh, I look for is, is you've got you've to understand the, the technology. Um, there's a lot of, you got a lot of support uh, apparatus in the federal government, a lot of people you can lean on. And in the private sector, you've got to uh, be a self-starter. You've got to understand uh, the technology and what it can bring uh, to the um, to the to the your government clients, uh, so that's something that uh, you really need to think about. And are you ready to make that transition? Do you do you understand the value of, of technology and what it could mean to your potential uh, government clients? One of the things that you were very outspoken about, a uh, big evangelist for when you were in government with shared services, and we talked on this program a number of times about that. Now that you have more of an enterprise-wide view of the government, what's your what's your thought about the potential for shared services across government, not just within an agency, but from agency to agency? Well, you know, Francis, you're absolutely right. I've, I've been a huge supporter of sharing uh, services for, for common uh, needs, and uh, I still am. Um, and I think one of the things that makes it hard in, in the government is you've got a very distributed IT authority uh, and that has created multiple systems uh, for basically the same function. My, again, limited experience is that uh, in the private sector, you can't afford to do that. So we've got one solution that everybody uh, has to use for, for different functions. Uh, the duplication is just something you can't afford. There's a lot more I'd love to cover, and unfortunately, we're out of time. I appreciate you coming on and joining me today. Well, thank you very much. Up next, the biggest federal IT needs right now, straight ahead on Government Matters, funding the modernization wish list during coronavirus. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. We'll be right back.
The HEROES Act the House has passed includes a billion dollars for IT modernization in government, but the Senate is not likely to vote on that bill, and agencies have bigger IT needs as remote work continues. Mike Hettinger is president of the Hettinger Strategy Group. Mike, thanks for coming on the program. Are you sensing kind of a reshaping of priorities for IT with the result of remote work and the response that agencies are doing to coronavirus as we start to think about coming back to the office? Uh, absolutely. I, I think, you know, one. I, I had an op-ed a couple weeks ago talking about remote work, how things have changed. And I, I really believe, you know, as agencies think about coming back, what you're going to see are a mix of people who are in the office, some that are going to work from home um, permanently or, or more often. And so I really think there's there's going to be a reorientation around priorities and what it, what uh, what work means, quite honestly, because there's things we have to do today um, remotely that we used to do in the office. So, yeah, it's changing big time. Some of the IT modernization needs, though, that you and I have talked about over the years with your colleague Rich Butel are so urgent, though, that I'm not sure it makes a lot of sense to try to figure out what the new normal looks like and let some of these other things sit. I mean, we're going to have to figure out a way to work on both tracks at the same time, correct? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned, you know, TMF, obviously that's important. Um, there was a lot of funding in the, um, in the, in the CARES Act, um, you know, dedicated to agencies. To, to help with remote work, whether that's telework, telemedicine, you know, increasing bandwidth, VPN, that sort of thing. And all of that's about, you know, thinking forward. Um, and I expect, you know, in the fiscal 21 legislation and, uh, and beyond, quite honestly, we're going to be talking about telework um, in a different way than we used to talk about it. And everyone understands it now, right? It's not just an issue that Jerry Conley and, and people from the Northern Virginia region are going to talk about. You can talk to anyone and they recognize now that telework's important and IT modernization and, and federal IT is more important today than it ever was. And one element of that that I think maybe the executive branch leaders haven't thought about yet is Congress has now spent all this money on IT modernization, the infrastructure for telework. They don't they can't really afford to have spent all that money in one shot and have it only be used for six months. I, it strikes That's me right. they're, they're going right. to expect a longer-term use of the infrastructure that they've let the executive branch go by. Is that a fair read on my part? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, a, a lot of the money had a 21 expiration date, and even some of the money we're talking about now has a 22 expiration date. So I think there's a recognition that, you know, even the, the uh, you know, we've talked a lot about TMF and how that would play. If you gave TMF a billion dollars tomorrow, you can't spend that money, right? Um, certainly not by the end of 20, certainly not by the end of 21. So you've got to make it so that these are long-term plans. Um, and, and I think, you know, Congress recognizes that and certainly the agencies recognize it's going to be difficult to sell it. So for the agencies that, yeah, for the agencies that are doing this so far, for the agencies that have gone through the TMF funds, we learned uh, last week Small Business Administration has stood up its own internal fund and other agencies have done that too. Are they hitting the right marks, do you think, to be able to go back to Congress and say this, this is the success that we're having and so this is a reason why you should give the government, the executive branch as a whole, more money to do this stuff? Uh, I think that question is still up in the air at the end of the day, right? I, I think, you know, one of the things I've talked about, and I think it's really important as we go into this next cycle, is we've got to take some of the strings off of TMF if we expect that people will use it, particularly in, a, in an emergency situation, right? So if 
If we look at TMF, the payback requirements, some of the, the process that one goes through to get that money, it's very thorough and it should be, and it's very transparent and it should be. Um, but in an emergency, it's a little onerous. And so a lot of the conversations I've been having uh, with industry groups, with people up on the Hill is, how do we take some of the restraints off of that so we make sure this money um, can get out to the agency so they can respond in a crisis and get the, you know, meet their IT needs? What restraints should come off, Mike? Well, I think the payback requirement, whether it's um, it's lessening that payback requirement, extending the amount of time to pay it back, or or quite honestly, wiping it out altogether um, in an emergency situation, um, to me that makes sense. Now, to your point about whether we prove the worth of this of this program, I think that that issue remains up in the air, and we're going to have to convince the appropriations committee if they're going to give a billion dollars for TMF. Um, that that you know it's the right thing to do and it will be used properly. And again, it's a very transparent program, and we shouldn't uh, step back at all on the transparency. Uh, but we definitely need to, to step back on how long it takes to get the money out and how onerous that process can be. And I understand that was written into the law. I was very involved in in TMF when it was structured. Uh, but, but in an emergency, different needs require you know uh, different actions. Mike, thanks very much for coming on. Great to have you as always, my friend. Thanks, Francis. I'm Cherise Hanner. You can now keep your finger to the pulse of all things that matter to the business of government anytime, anywhere. Subscribe to the Government Matters Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or simply ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters Podcast. For a quick fix of government news, follow us at Twitter at GovMattersTV. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.